some of you know my story, um, and I'll share a little bit with you. Standards of me tonight. Very late in high school, God brought me to a place where I understood and believed the, the Christian gospel, the Christian message, the Christian faith. And, and so when I came to Princeton, I was a freshman, I was a baby Christian. And one of the first, very first amazing things that I learned about God during those days that I was here is that He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And He gives it to us to be with us and to be in us in order to change and transform us into the kind of people that He's created us to be. And but early on in those days, as I was reading God's Word, pretty much for the first time ever, I was struck. I was in front of reading through the Gospel of John and the Romans and forth to find her, Paul, Ben, and Wilson. And I was struck by a frequent pattern in, in Scripture. It wasn't surprising. Um, first, that God gives us his standards. You know, how do I live? What's right and what's wrong? <coughs> so, for example, he put up Ephesians 4.29 in the sophomore uh, Bible study. We've been going through Ephesians. We just looked at some of these verses a few weeks ago. But don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. So there's the standard that God gives in his word. That's just one, that's actually a half a verse in Ephesians. Right? So no cynicism, or at least very, very little cynicism, rudeness, tearing somebody down to make yourself feel better, or, you know, all the unwholesome talk that comes out of our mouth. Like, that's the standard. But instead, words that are constructive, words that are thoughtful, um, words that creatively build up. But then, God also gives us motivation, right? Then when I give grace to those who listen, so there's the motivation. So no unwholesome talk, but only what's helpful for building up, so that might give grace to those who listen that. Our mouths can actually be a channel or a vehicle or a vessel to, to, to bring grace into somebody else's life. That's, that's amazing. That's exciting that God can use us in that way with just our words, with our lips. Um, and all of a sudden, somebody can experience grace because of what we said. That's a good motivation. And I expected to find stuff like this in the Bible. Of course. That there's God's standards and then some motivations for why we should, you know, aim for those and carry out those standards. But then, I, it wasn't too long in the Christian life that I had another big question that came out of this, which is, but how do you do it? How can a human being like me, or like you, faithfully live out the standards to which God calls us? Because so often, even despite the motivations that are there, I fail. You fail. You know, trying to live out God's standards is sometimes trying to like live out you know, our New Year's resolutions times a thousand. <laughs> you know, I know what I want to do, I know what I ought to do, but I just fail to execute. I, I don't follow through. God says, don't be anxious about anything, but yet we panic, we worry. God says, put bitterness off and pray for your enemies, but yet we, we hold grudges. We have a hard time releasing others. Releasing someone with forgiveness. God says, joyfully surrender your money, your possessions, your time. And yet, we're sometimes just so reluctant to do it, so stingy, because you know it means giving up the security and comfort that we value so much. So we fail. God has his standards, and we fail. And some days, just speaking personally, some days I feel like I'm a C minus, some days it's a B plus, some days it's just an F. You know, and you just say, Can I have some great inflation, please? Huh? 
know, how do we live out God's standards? And or let me put it personally again, like when I became a Christian, I recognized there were many, many things about me that needed the change, desperately needed the change. But I couldn't change them myself in my own power, in my own strength. So how does faith in Christ actually lead to real change in the Christian life? And this is where, I was just struck by this in the scriptures, and this is our theme for tonight. God doesn't just give us his standards and his motivations and say, okay, well, good luck. I wish you the best. I'll check back in with you later. You know, instead, God gives his people a gracious, precious, extraordinary provision God gives us his Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us, and to remake us so that we obey him, so that we live for him, so that we can live by his abundant, life-giving standards. And only God can do this. We can live for God because he has put his spirit in us, and that spirit is constantly at work in us to transform us. Like there's Galatians 3.3. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by works of human effort? And I mean, the obvious answer is no, of course not. That's not how you're being perfected. You're being perfected by the Spirit. And Philippians 1.6, I know it's a favorite verse for many of you. He, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So our text tonight, those aren't our texts, but our text tonight is a passage out of Romans 8, and it's arguably like the classic text uh, of Scripture that highlights the Spirit's power to transform us. So listen as I read God's Word in uh, Josh 8, go to the next slide. So Romans 8, starting with verse 5. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, writes to us these words from God. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. But you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But... If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So I want to highlight three key, three key themes in this passage. Uh, so there's an identity to claim, a miraculous power to experience, and finally an, an obligation to live out. Okay, so first, an identity to claim. Almost every single verse, actually you can go back to like the first few verses, Josh. Almost every single verse in this passage emphasizes that those who have put their faith in Christ are also in the Spirit. Verse 5, those who live in accordance with the Spirit. Verse 6, the mind governed by the Spirit. 
Verse 9, a little later, you are in the realm of the Spirit. And then verse 10, Christ is in you. And implied, it's the Spirit of Christ is in you. So if you are in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in you. And this is who you are. This is your identity. You might describe yourself as a musician, an athlete, a big reader, a young adult. But even more fundamental to your identity, if you're a Christian, is that the Holy Spirit is in you. You are spirit-filled. Not only are you living in the realm of Princeton University, but you are simultaneously and at all times living in the realm of the Spirit. That realm, that reality, is just as real as your classes, as your teachers, and as your roommates. It might not be on your mind as much, <laughs> right? But it's the reality, if you're a Christian, just as Princeton's student is an unmistakable part of your identity, at least for now, like for your seniors, that time is really short. Oh, it's so sad. But do you believe that another unmistakable and more significant part of your identity is, I am a temple, I'm a container, I'm a vessel of the Holy Spirit in which, in which he lives. This is your identity. And if you want to read more of Romans, I mean, we're reading part of Romans 8 tonight, but if you read the wider context, if you go back to Romans 6, right, one of the big questions that's raised there, and you've probably heard something like this raised, is, whoa, oh, so this business of God forgiving sin, oh, and, and God does it out of sheer grace to us in Christ. Well, you know what? I'm going to help God out. I'll sin as much as possible. I'll just go out there and live it up. I'll live as I please because then God will forgive me even more and God will get even more glory. Some sort of like sort of theological logic like that. And this is like a great, this is a great deal. It's like the theological loophole. It's like on tax day, people look for tax loopholes to get more taxes back than maybe they deserve. It's like there's this theological loophole of grace. It's like, oh, well, if God just forgives and it's his business to forgive, then I'll help him out. But Romans 8 says no, right? This is not who you are anymore. You, you have a new identity. It, it, you are now in the Spirit. So now you live as one who is in the Spirit and in whom the Spirit dwells. So that logic doesn't work. Or you go to Romans 7. That was Romans 6. You can read it yourself. Romans 7, it's a little different kind of logic. Actually, a lot of different. It's like one of the complaints that's voiced there is, I am doomed to always mess up. I don't want to sin. I don't, I don't want to rebel against God and live selfishly, but I just can't help it. I never live as I want to live or as God calls me to live. And the same thing applies here. Romans 8 says the exact same thing. It's a resounding no. That is not who you are anymore. You have a new identity. You are now in the Spirit. It is possible for you to live as God calls you to live. You can live as one who has the Spirit. One time, I tried to make this point, this, this point of our identity in Christ, to a bunch of fifth-grade boys. <laughs> and then I'll just share with you how I did it. You can just let me know if it was, if it was a good idea or not. So I grabbed this volunteer. His name is John. I gave him a basketball. Because <laughs> I had a basketball. I knew exactly what I was doing. I had a basketball with me. 
And we also just happened to be in the gym. And I said to John, who's like four feet, four inches tall, I said, take this ball, and I want you to run down to the other end of the gym, and I want you to dunk this thing like LeBron James, right? And, like, all the other boys were there, like, laughing, and John's, like, looking at me with, like, this fear in his eyes. of like, okay. <laughs> so then John runs down there, he runs down the other end of the gym, and he jumps about as high as he can, which is all, like, I don't know, six inches, you know, and, and then the ball just goes flying to the side, and it's just, you know, and he comes sort of walking back with his head down, and... You know, he was a great sport. He was a great sport. But he just did not have um, what it takes to do it. So, so then I made my theological point on the fifth grade level. I said, if John isn't LeBron James, like he doesn't have the body, the strength, the ability of LeBron, then it is so foolish of me to tell him, like, go, go do this and go, you know, like be exactly like, go, go play like and dunk like LeBron James. It's just like foolish for me to do that. But... If I could somehow put LeBron's power, his strength, his essence into John, well, then telling John to dunk would be a totally different story, right? And then bringing it back to this point, which is God has put his spirit in us. This is our new identity for those of us who are in Christ. And because of that, it is possible, wonderfully possible, for us to live like Christ, Because Christ's spirit is in us, so therefore we can now live like him. Think about these four words from Romans 8.10, right? Christ is in you. And just let that sink in. And consider that. If you are in Christ, that is your identity. Christ is in you. So claim it. You can live like him because his spirit is is in you. So that's our identity. And the second theme I want to focus on is a miraculous power to experience. I want to zoom in on Romans 8.11 here. It's right up here on the bottom of the screen. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. This verse lets us in on a little secret that the Holy Spirit was powerfully at work that first Easter morning. We just sang about Jesus rising from the grave. Jesus is dead in his tomb. He's crucified and he's died there because of our sins. But the Spirit raises him to life. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, God brings life, healing and wholeness, out of death, sin, and brokenness. This is what God does. And yes, I know this, this verse gives us hope for the age to come. That, that we too will rise again. We just sang about that. That death is not the final word. God will give life to our mortal bodies through his spirit. It's a wonderful truth, a wonderful promise. But it's also about life, real life, here and now. God has the ability to bring life where there is death. If God can miraculously rise, raise his son from the grave by the spirit, and he did, then God can miraculously transform us and give us life in the here and now by the same Spirit who was at work within us. We can't say to God, I can't change. I'm doomed. I'm hopeless. That's the same thing as saying, I think Jesus is still in the grave. He did not rise again. If God can bring Jesus out of the tomb, then he can change you and me by the Spirit. 
So think about how you struggle to be faithful to God, to be faithful to Christ. I mean, maybe you quickly give into fear and anxiety, anger, jealousy, I don't know, laziness, maybe destructive speech patterns with certain people, the tendency to spin things or deceive when, when you know, your reputation is on the line, impurity, pride because you're quick to look down on others. I don't think about the ways that you struggle to be faithful to God. And likely you're tired, when you think about that, you're weary, you're discouraged. But tonight, like, do you believe that the Spirit is in you? That the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead can actually change and transform you? And this is so uniquely God. Only God can do this. Right? Just to put a fine point on this before we move to the third and final point. Like we cannot change the hearts and minds of other people. We know this so clearly, right? We can't change the minds and the hearts of others. Parents try to change the, their children, right? Children try to change their parents. <laughs> right? Democrats try to change Republicans, and Republicans try to change Democrats. I would love to see that on TV someday. Like there's like a bunch of like on a talk show where they're just talking and it's just some politician says, you know what, I have totally changed my mind. I've been completely persuaded by my opponent over there. I'd love to see that, but it never ever happens. Right? We can't change people, and we also, we also struggle to change ourselves. This, I mean, some of you are aware of like the NFL Play 60 movement. You can put up that next, yeah, right, yeah, right there. So this is the NFL Play 60, just a couple, a couple slides. You know, it's, it's a call for kids to, exor- to exercise 60 minutes a day, play 60. Um, and then there's also the, the Got Milk campaign, Jennifer Hudson, Alex Trebek. Um, there's also like Yo-Yo Ma, cello player, Michelle Obama, you know, first lady. Like there's all these campaigns, whether it's play 60 or Got Milk or, you know, don't do drugs or stay in school or don't bully, right? And it's always like famous people or gifted people, successful people who are making appeals to drink milk or stay in school or exercise, right? And, and like, you think about it, what's the basis that, 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 that they're giving? To, like, they're, they're giving a standard, it's like, just like God's word, and what's the basis? Somehow the basis is, well, we can follow their example, or we, we, we can be inspired by them because we look up to them, or we can imitate them because we admire them, or we can listen to their appeal because they're successful and they have weight with what they say or what they're calling us to. And, you know, and sometimes that works. Um, I don't have anything wrong or I don't have anything against these campaigns. But the point I'm trying to make here is that God goes so far beyond this in a way that only he can. He doesn't just give us an example or inspire us or motivate us or make an appeal to us to, to, to like, here's the standard, now live it out. He gives us his spirit, and he puts his spirit within us to actually help us, empower us, and equip us to live out what he calls us to. He doesn't just say to us, like, okay, conform to this, do this, but he works in and through us by his spirit so that we can conform to what he says. So, and then finally, third, you get Jennifer and Alex often. An obligation to live out. Yeah, you can go back. Maybe go back to the, the last bit of scripture, verses 12 and 13. Let me just read these last two verses again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So we have a new identity. We are in Christ and the Spirit is in us. We experience miraculous power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us to change us and transform us. And so now, verse 12, we have an obligation. We are no longer obligated to the flesh. And that word flesh is a very tricky word. If you're like me, you think of, you know, the skin on our... I just think it died. Oh, sorry. I'm just using the mic. Is the red light on or the green light on? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> I press the button. Press and hold? Oh, yeah. You're good. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know what happened. I don't either. Okay. Um, oh, so, <laughs> that's a, yeah. That word flesh, it's a really awkward place to stop. <laughs> um, don't think of the skin on your butt. <laughs> I'm not pressing it. I, don't, I think it's just that. We just wanted to show it to the other one. It's trying to live by the God spirit. Bring that thing to the spirit. flesh and bones, like our body, and it's not like meat on a grill, like that kind of animal flesh, right? Like, this is not what is meant by flesh here. Flesh, whenever you see that word flesh in scripture, sometimes it's translated sinful nature, but it's it's like that sin-dominated self, that, that self-absorbed nature that we all have, that like where our interests, our actions, it always curves back in on ourselves, Living for self, not living for others, and not living for God. That, that, when you hear the word flesh, that's what you need to think of. And so we're told we're no longer obligated to that. We're no longer obligated to the flesh. Instead, we are now obligated to the spirit. And by that spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. So when the spirit of God is in you, and if you're a Christian, he is, then you are obligated, you're, you're indebted, that's what other some versions have, you're bound to live by that spirit. And, and, and you're obligated and indebted and bound to now put certain things to death, that, namely the misdeeds of the body or sin. Living by the spirit, it's, it's not a passive thing, as if you just you do absolutely nothing and God does absolutely everything. No, if we have the Spirit, we are now obligated to actively, minute by minute, live by that Spirit who is in us. It is not an option to, say, live by the Spirit for three days out of seven, or I'm going to live by the Spirit when I'm with these friends, but not with these friends, or I'm going to live by the Spirit in these areas of my life, but not in these areas of my life. I mean, even just hearing that, it just sounds foolish, right? But isn't that what we do when we live for self in a given moment in time or in a given place instead of living for and by the Spirit? So let me just get practical here for these last few minutes. And what does it look like to live by the Spirit in this way and put selfishness and sin to death as we're obligated to do? So, you know, and this is, you go to the very last slide, Josh, thanks. So when you sin, admit it to God. 
in others. I think that's a huge step of what it means to live by the Spirit. When you become aware of sin in your life, or you do sin, you just confess it right away. If you sin against somebody else, you confess it to them. You ask for forgiveness. If you want a healthy relationship with God and with others, you have to humble yourself and admit wrong when you're guilty. And often when I run, this is when I have my most lucid thoughts. I know I've shared this with some of you. And that's often when I realize, okay, Chris, you are really angry or jealous or you have felt slighted or undervalued, right? And, and I have to catch myself in that moment when I have these clear and lucid thoughts and I have to admit it to God. And I say, God, I'm sinning right now or I'm on the cusp of sinning. And I have to admit my weakness to God. And it's a good idea to also admit it to others as well. But don't just stop there. Receive God's forgiveness again. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit or live by the Spirit. Think of Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that no condemnation, it's an emphatic no. Like, the, the condemnation is destroyed. It's gone. God is not hanging condemnation over our head, waiting for us to mess up, to drop it on us again. No, God has removed condemnation from us in Christ. So receive that gift again. Another step, by faith, claim the reality that the Spirit is in you and call upon Him to change you. So I'll just go back to when I'm running. I often pray things like, Spirit, I know you are in me. You are at work within me. Please put that jealousy to death. I, I can't do this alone, but I know you are with me, and by you all things are possible. So by faith, claim the reality that the Spirit is in you and call upon him to change you. And another, stop minding sin because it leads to death. Uh, a lot of the Romans 8 passage is about what our minds are fixated on, what we're preoccupied with. Um, you know, there's a lot of the language and a lot of the speech in this passage. So what are you minding? You know, when the Bible talks about our mind, it's not just about our cognitive functions, our rationale, so much as like, what is it that we're craving, fantasizing about? What is it we desire, longing for, we dream about? And here, here's Romans 8, 5, and 6, where I read this earlier. Those who live according to their flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So what is controlling you? What is governing you, moving you, animating you? And one of the things that controlled and governed me was winning people's approval and recognition. Uh, this is what motivated me in academics and athletics, particularly in high school. And I loved it when others recognized my talent and applauded me for it, you know, or wrote newspaper articles about me or gave me awards publicly. And then, just like I shared very briefly at the beginning, and then I became a Christian, and the Spirit of God truly came into my life and began to break all of that down. That didn't happen overnight. It was a process. It still is a process that's unfolding. But I can say that the Spirit is faithful, and God has changed me through His Spirit. The Spirit always does this in partnership with God's truth, too, God's promises. So for me, it was like, well, if I don't win this person's approval or recognition, you know what? That's okay. That doesn't control and govern me anymore because I know that God loves me, God accepts me, 
God delights in me and calls me his own. And that truth with the Spirit in my life, those two things together, God's Word and God's Spirit, began to remake me and change me. And, you know, I got to the point where, you know, that, knowing that God calls me his own, is greater than any newspaper article or any award that I could ever receive. And, and, and so this is what we're called to. We're called to put such things to death. We're called to, to crucify these things. These things take drastic measures. The old way of putting it in some, like the King James Version, is mortify, right? Like mortify, like execute um, these things that, that lead to death. So... Stop minding sin because it leads to death. And then finally, mind what the Spirit desires and pursue those things that help you live by the same Spirit. I want you to think about this. How does God encourage you? I mean, how does he uniquely encourage you to live by his Spirit? And be aware of what God uses to move you to, to, to put sin to death and to say yes to his spirit. I, I'm not just, I can share a few examples from my own life. So one example would be climbing mountains. When I climb a mountain or when I see mountains, I, just, I feel how small I am and I sense how big God is. And, I, and then it makes me say in my heart, I want to live for the God who made these mountains. And that's just how God moves in my heart by his spirit to want to live for him. Another one is hearing people's stories. I, I mean, this past summer, I was, at, I was at church. There were like 200 kids running around, and I was talking to one of my dear friends. Her name is Donna. She can barely walk on her own, but the Spirit of God has come into her life, and it's amazing. She's not bitter. She is one of the most thankful, most joyful people I know. She's always talking about how good God is. And, and it's just so clear to me, the Spirit has come into her life and has transformed her and changed her and has grounded her on the promises of God for her in Christ. And, and so hearing other people's stories, when I hear a story like Donna's, I, I walk away from that saying, I want to live for the same God she lives for. I want to say no to sin, and I want to say yes to the Spirit and righteousness and yes to God's promises and live for Him just like Donna. Watching certain movies can point me to Christ. Um, <laughs> this is fresh on my mind because a few days ago, my kids were like making fun of me and laughing at me because they were reminiscing and remembering how like when I saw Pixar uh, Inside Out with them, you know the scene when the clown, Bing Bong, like <laughs> sacrifices himself so that joy... If you haven't seen it, it's okay. But there's this scene where a clown, it's an animated clown, an animated movie. The clown sacrifices himself for the sake of, like, the, the main protagonist. And, like, when I was watching the movie in the theater with my kids, they looked at me when that scene happened, like this great sacrifice shot. And I'm just crying. And I'm just weeping. Because that in that moment, it made me realize, that it, it just, the spirit in me made me realize, this is exactly what Christ has done for me. I, I'm much... <laughs> but just God used a Pixar film in that moment to just impress upon me that Christ loves me and living for him is right, is good. It's not foolish. 
you know, so it might sound strange. It certainly sounds strange to my kids. It might sound strange to you. But that there are things like that that impress upon us by the Spirit to live for Christ and say yes to the Spirit. Learning history is another one. I, there's just so much brokenness in the world. And when I study history, it just makes me so grateful that God is moving history to a directed, certain end where all things will be made new and transformed. And again, it just it makes me say, yes, I can live for that kind of God. I can say yes to the Spirit and no to sin. And memorizing Scripture, the Spirit always works with Scripture. So there are passages of Scripture that I've memorized. And in those moments, you know, where you just have free time, you're walking from one class to another, you're standing in the shower, and your mind is in neutral, and then it begins to slip somewhere, just like to, to call Scripture to your mind. And then the, so many times the Spirit with the Word, has impressed upon me who God is, what He's done for me in those moments. So there's just some of the ways in which, you know, minding what the Spirit desires and pursuing those things that will help you live by the Spirit. So what does God use for you to encourage you, for you to live by the Spirit, for you to put to death the misdeeds of the body, and to say yes to the Spirit, to say yes to Christ, to say yes to righteousness. Set your mind and your heart on those things. Pursue those things. Put sin to death. Let's pray. Lord God, I give you praise and thanks because of who you are. You're extraordinary. You did not leave us alone but you sent your Son to come, to live, and to die, and to rise again on our behalf. And now he has ascended at the right hand, at your right hand, and you have sent your Spirit to be with us and to be in us. Lord God, we invite you, we ask you, we call upon you to fill us with your Spirit who's in us. To fill us, with, fill us with the fullness of your spirit so that we would put to death the misdeeds of the body. And that we would walk in step with the spirit who is in us. That we would live and be agents of Christ in this world, wherever you call us. I pray that you would confirm this identity in us. That you would give us hope that you can change and transform us. I see my brothers and sisters here tonight, and I know, just by walking with them for uh, some of them three, four years, I have seen your spirit at work, and your spirit is good. You are faithful. So, Lord, would you continue to do this? And it's a promise. You will continue to do this, but we invite you, we ask you to, to continue to do your good work by your spirit in and through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.